Father, we just uh, pray for your spirit, Lord, that would fill us and uh, break any walls down, Lord, that we would be able to hear uh, what you have for us tonight, Lord. Just pray this in Jesus' name. So we're in uh, Genesis chapter 16. So... Uh, we'll get some lights turned on here. I can see so clearly with my new glasses now, my voice sounds really loud. <laughs> Does it seem loud to you guys? <laughs> so, this is an interesting chapter. So starting at verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, uh, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. Uh, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years. Sarai... Uh, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Uh, When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You're responsible for the wrong that I'm suffering. (laughs) I put my slave... No, but I put my slave into your arms, and now she knows that she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram Abram said. Do whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai... Where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall... Name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hands against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Uh, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well... And that is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to that son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So... Let's go through this. Uh, Man, I read this chapter so many times. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had born to him no children, but uh, she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. 
So I think it's interesting that it makes a point to say that uh, she was an Egyptian slave, and it, and it brings it up again in verse 3 that, that she's an Egyptian. And so I think that it's, there's a, you know, an idea behind that. We know that when uh, Abraham went into Egypt uh, earlier in his life, 10 years earlier actually, uh, he wasn't exactly probably in the will of God when he did that. And so uh, Hagar is probably somebody that he picked up along the way uh, when he was down there. Because remember, he got, he got really wealthy there and got more servants and everything. So Hagar is a product of his time when he was in Egypt. And, well, you know, we've, you kind of know we got the outline of the story. And um, I think that uh, what we're looking at here in, in some respect is like uh, the unintended consequences for him going into Egypt. You know, I think that uh, after you've lived long enough, you can, you can look back in time and see where, uh, you know, gosh, that wasn't such a good decision. And, and you have, you know, consequences that emanate from that and, or people that you know that have made decisions and it had a huge impact on their life and, and other people's lives. And, uh, but with um, this one here, actually, uh, it, we're still feeling the effects of this story that we're about to go through here in that, uh, you know, Ishmael was the son that was born. So there was actually two uh, sons that we know of for Abraham. There was Ishmael, and then later on we're going we're to hear about Isaac. And we can trace back basically all of the Arab countries get their roots from Ishmael. So you have the, you know, you have the, the Jewish uh, state and then you have the Arabs and I mean it's the original Hat, Hatfields and McCoys. I mean beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, you know, they're fighting with each other now. They forgot even why they're fighting. They're just fighting to fight. And uh, so, yeah. So number one on your uh, on your sheet there says Abraham is going to deal with the consequences of his trip to Egypt. <clears throat> so, um, so going back to verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So, um, there's a good chance that, you know, they were living in Canaan and there was actually the code of Hammurabi. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that. It's, uh, it's in some ways, uh, there's, there's similar laws in there that like what we find in the Old Testament. It comes out of uh, the Babylonian king, Hammurabi. Uh, he kind of wrote it out and it was, there was different laws. And at that at that time, it was... You know, it was the it was the law system of the world, and that's what they had in Canaan. And so, you know, Hagar was probably went to Bethel to go shopping or something, and she ran into some gals in the market there, and you know, and uh, they started talking about this, and you know, she's explaining to them that you know I haven't been able to have any kids, you know, and and they and they said, well, you know, the law says that you can actually do this, and. So Sarah probably goes back to Abram and says, hey, you know, I was getting some great deals down in Bethel and, and uh, I was talking to these ladies and they said, you know, it's perfectly okay 
that if you take a slave and you know and you could take her as a wife and then and then the offspring then the offspring could be mine and that way we could have our family because you know it doesn't look like God's going to come through on this promise that he made to us on the kids and so uh, so it was actually kind of a quote normal thing uh, that when a wife couldn't conceive they would take a one of their servants if they ever had that kind of position um, it, it, it because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that God approved of it though I mean what we're reading here is a historical account I mean so you can't misconstrue it to say well since Abraham did this then it must be okay for all of us to do it and if you look at the the end result of what happened out of it it's pretty obvious that it probably wasn't a good idea um, but it was it was actually Sarai's decision to do this, right? I mean, everybody, she's the one that, it was her idea. You can't get past that, I don't think. But uh, biblically speaking, uh, Abraham could and probably should have opposed it. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah, in Genesis uh, chapter 3. Why don't you go there? Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 16. This is, we're kind of popping into where, you know, Adam and Eve have sinned and, and uh, God is pro- pronouncing the judgment. And so he, he first he curses Satan. And then in verse 16, he says, To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Uh, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So in, uh, in God's system, he, uh, from my perspective, unfortunately uh, appointed the man to be the head of the household. And because he knew that sin had entered into the world, and you, you're going to run into situations in the family where There's just, somebody has to make the decision. And I, I, I've talked about this before in Home Fellowship. A lot of times you get in situations where there is no good answer. There's, n- there's nothing that you can do that's going to make everybody happy. And so uh, God, he actually appointed the man to do that. And uh, there's actually, uh, I was... I'd learned when I was in school that there was a difference between a male and a female brain. And so I looked it up, and there's actually been more research, and the male and female brains are actually wired up different. You have, like, a logical side and then, like, an emotional side. And women have uh, extra amounts of connections between their right and left brain, where men, uh, not so much. The men's brains are men's brains are kind of wired this way. Women's are wired this way, and and so that's a good thing for women because they can multitask like nobody's business. I mean, you know, they can. I mean, just you know, in the in the household scene, anyway, be taking care of kids and doing laundry and talking on the phone and yelling at this kid over here, you know, and everything's moving just fine. Where men kind of like, I got to do this. I got to start here and I got to finish and then I'll go over here and then I'll do this. And so that's kind of the difference. And so um, if you've been in a 
a relationship with a woman, you find that a lot of times um, women like uh, I'll just an example would be a man and a wife are solving a problem, and so they talk back and forth. And so the man, he's kind of like a problem solver. He's thinking like on this one thing, he's going to fix this one thing. So he comes to a resolution on it, and he's talking to his wife, and they come to a resolution. Yes, this is what we're going to do. So maybe four or five days later, the wife's back again, talking about this same thing. Hey, wait a minute. We just, we already figured that out. We solved that problem. <laughs> we're moving on, right? But it's part of the whole brain chemistry, the way the brains work. Women are... The the logic and the emotion keeps going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they're kind of like, duh, i got to do like this. And so if you're in the the position of having to make a decision when there's really no good decision to be made, and then you kind of want that brain, I call it brain deadness, where you can just say, yep, I know this isn't good, it's not the best, nobody's going to be happy, but this is what we're going to do, right? So anyway... So God had set that up, and Abram, he probably uh, should have intervened, uh, but he didn't. So I thought it was kind of interesting, though, because in the very next verse, in, in Genesis, uh, in verse 17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife. <laughs> okay? And then he goes on, he says, you ate the fruit. Whatever, but if you think about it, Abraham was kind of guilty of the exact same thing that Adam was in the beginning because, you know, God had told Adam, hey, don't do this and don't do that. And then so, but his wife comes up and says, oh, you really need to do this. And, and, uh, but, uh, so, anyway, um, I guess some things never change. I mean, there are so many times I know in our marriage that. Jane has been so right on so many things that I hate to I hate to even say, no, I don't think that's right anymore, you know. But it's that one time when everything's gonna go south and it's gonna be my fault. So but anyway. So and uh so number three, uh I think I skipped two. Uh, whose idea was it to enlist Hagar? Right, zero. Okay. And then number three, who is responsible for the situation that ensued? Yep, Abram. Yep. So verse three. So Abram had been living in Canaan ten years. Uh, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Uh, I just, you know... It's kind of like a whole bunch of stuff packed into that. But if you think about what's going on here, I would say there's a very good chance that Hagar was a very attractive woman. Because if you remember, Sarah was a a good-looking woman, I mean, even well into her years. And so she's thinking this thing, hey, I need to get this family going. So I'd be willing to bet she was probably kind of scouting, looking for somebody that maybe looked like her even. So when the kids came out, you know, hey, everything would, would line up. So I think that that just plays in the story. You just kind of put that in the back of your head because we're going to come back to it probably. So Hagar becomes a concubine. Uh, so uh, 
it says here that, uh, so uh, in verse 3, I read it again. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Uh, she may even told her, look, you're going to be just like a wife to him. Uh, but actually, as we read through the story, the role that she fills is that of a concubine. And so a concubine is a woman who lives with a man but has a lower status than his wife. And I think that plays out when we hear. So here again, this isn't something that God approves of. Uh, God had promised uh, Abe and Sarah, uh, Abraham and Sarah children, and they've been waiting 10 years. So I've really thought about that. You know, 10 years, that's a long time. I mean, I'm wondering where would I be at after 10 years? Because there's no, according to the scripture, there's no communication. But uh, sometimes God requires uh, patience and faith. And um, so when I was looking through this, um, I landed in Hebrews. Uh, you remember, remember, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, I guess now, three weeks ago, I talked about, you know, Abraham would pile up the, the rocks and he would build an altar so that, you know, he could remember what God had done for them there. And so uh, I had one of those kind of moments right here when I was preparing for this. Um, uh, it's been quite a few years ago. Uh, we were doing a vacation Bible school for another church, and uh, uh, Jane developed this weirdness in one of her eyes. Like, can't really say it was blind, but she really couldn't. One of her eyes was not functioning at all. Uh, it was kind of a scary time. Uh, we went to the the uh, ophthalmologist. And he actually looked in her eyes and he said, you know, the, the eye is actually good. There's really nothing wrong with her eyes, so there's something else going on. Uh, maybe some, uh, a tumor or something in the brain, so we don't know what it is. But he actually prescribed a, a, a lens. And so they had, he had glasses that just had clear plastic. And then he had a machine there that he could make the, the lens correct her vision so that when she looked out of this glass... She could see okay. And so he looked at me and said, you want to see what your wife is seeing? I said, sure. So I put these glasses on. Oh, my gosh. It was uh, the most bizarre thing. It was like looking through a kaleidoscope, if you can imagine that, you know, where every, all the parts are there, but everything's kind of like in little pieces and out of order and everything. Uh, so i be honest with you, I, I got kind of scared at that point. And so... Uh, they started uh, doing tests, and uh, and it turns out that that's when she was diagnosed with uh, multiple sclerosis. And uh, she doesn't like to talk about it, but I feel like uh, most people really don't understand what the disease is. There's several forms of it, but the one that, that uh, we have is uh, uh, where it, they have what they call exacerbations. They come and they go. Okay, so today you're feeling fine. Uh, you make a commitment for two weeks from now. Two weeks from now comes, and uh, maybe your right leg is numb and you're having a hard time walking, or there's something wrong with your vision, or 
you know, it can attack various parts of the body. And the way it works and how it works is, if you can imagine your, the nerves in your brain being like, you know, the, the wires in your house, they have a copper center, and then they have that, that insulation over the top. What happens is it's an autoimmune disease, so your body thinks that, hey, there's something here, so it starts attacking that, that insulation. It's actually called myelin. It's attacking that insulation, and what it'll do is it'll attack it until the wire is exposed, and it'll do it over here, and so now nerves in the brain will start short-circuiting across each other instead of going to where they're supposed to go. So there's your brain is saying, hey, you know, you can't walk, and you can't walk. <laughs> or it'll mess with your speech. It can do a lot of different things. And then, just for no reason whatsoever, three, four days... It just goes away. It's really very bizarre. But um, so anyway, when we were going through this, and um, you know, like I say, we're we're, we're actually in the middle of doing a VBS uh, uh, during the day. Actually, it was a, we were doing it back during the day in those days, and uh, I can remember just really kind of being like. What's up, God? You know, here we are. We're like doing everything we're supposed to be doing, you know, and uh, things aren't working out here, you know. So I was reading, I was reading in Hebrews, and so Hebrews 6.10, this is the verse that, this is the altar, this is the little thing that God gave me that day, and like I, whenever I come back to that verse, I always remember this time in our life, and it says, in verse 10, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget the work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. In verse 11, he says, We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. And in verse 12, which applies to us here tonight, we do not want you to become lazy, but... Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so, um, uh, number four on your sheet there is we need to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. So, but if I'm going to go back to that verse and read it again, because if you, if you understand what's going on, there are some verses that will say, we don't want you to become sluggish. Uh, NIV says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so what that tells me is, is that, you know, the opposite of lazy is probably hard work, right? And so it's not always going to be easy. And I think uh, it's just not always going to be easy. So... And Sarah and Abram found that out, I think. And then continuing on, uh, it says, when she, knew she was preg- she, uh, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mis- mistress. Okay, so uh, Hagar is in the middle of this, and it's not something that really that was of her making, really. You know, she was a servant for, you know, Abram and Sarah. So she's not real happy with this idea of being the concubine because, 
you know, here she is, she's going to give Abram a child. And so she's thinking, like, I should be the wife. Maybe even Sarah told her, hey, you're going to be like a wife. But then when the whole thing went down, she wasn't actually being treated like a wife. So the, this, this whole scenario is playing out, I'm sure, is contrary to what Sarah had planned. She had this plan, hey, look, it's legal, we can do this, we'll get Hagar, she's good looking, she can have kids, you know what, and she'll have the kids and then, we'll, then they'll become our kids and we'll all live happily ever after. But she didn't actually consider um, Hagar in the whole equations. So it's kind of interesting because Proverbs actually talks about uh, this kind of a situation in Proverbs 30, uh, verses 21 through 23. So it says, uh, under three things the earth trembles. Under four it cannot bear up. And then, then it lists these. And so it lists them. It says, a servant who becomes a king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces her mistress. And that's exactly what's going on here. So, I mean, under three things, the earth trembles. I think what they're really saying is is that all of these can cause a really bad situation. And that's exactly what Sarah and Abram have set up here. So, uh, it says here, when she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Uh, then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong that I am suffering. So I can imagine Abram's like, what? You know? I mean, clearly, it was her idea. You know, he says, I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. So we got, a, I say, a certified mess on our hands at this point. So it's a, you know, the, uh, family, family feud, or whatever you want to call it. Sarah's blaming uh, Abraham, and so you know, maybe she forgot that the arrangement was her idea. Uh, I don't know. Maybe she's reminding Abraham, you know, hey, it was your idea to go into Egypt. And if we hadn't went to Egypt, you know, Hagar wouldn't be here. You know, then there's always a, a very good chance that there was you know, feelings between Abram and Hagar, you know? I mean, it doesn't go into any of the details, but it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to see how this could go bad. So it's just, she's probably so upset that, uh, you know, things weren't turning out the way that she wanted it to that she just kind of lashed out at Abram. So Abram, he says, uh, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Uh, so Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. So here again, Abram kind of leaves it up to Sarah to handle the situation. You know, He really kind of is skirting his responsibility because he probably could have done something to change the course of actions. So what does Hagar do? She runs away. 
So if you think about this, I mean, if you think about conflicts and people, you have conflicts between people, uh, the classic react- reactions are, is, is number one, blame somebody else, okay? It wasn't me, it was somebody else. So that's what Sarah does. And then do nothing. I'm going to just ignore this and it's going to go away, okay? That's kind of like what Abram does, right? And then the third one is just run away from the situation, which is what Hagar does. If you really think about it, that's kind of the way people will deal with uh, conflict. So, it's, I mean, it's just like... I, mean, just, I started thinking about it. There's just different people that come into my mind over the years. That, you know, just... Nothing new under the sun. So, I guess the, uh, the thing that I thought of here is that... Uh, there's no perfect families, you know, except for on social media. Yeah, every, everything's perfect on social media, right? Uh, I got this thing against uh, social media because you'll know what's going on in somebody's life and you'll look at what's being posted online and it's just like, this isn't real, you know. But, and so that causes problems because other people look at that and say, oh, Look how perfect their life is and my life is a mess, you know. So it's just craziness. It's just craziness. Uh, yeah, everybody's, basically we're all messed up. And you just got to know that. And when you look at social media, it's just not real. But uh, James actually asked this question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Okay. This is in James chapter 4, starting at verse 1. He asks that question, What causes and fights and quarrels among you? And then, he, and then he has a rhetorical question. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Yeah. It's, I mean, this year, I mean, you can, you can look at this and say, and, and if you wanted to point the finger at uh, Sarah in this, you know, she had these desires. She wanted to get this family thing going, you know, and so it was a battle with her. And so she decides to, you know, forget God and, and just, you know, I'm going to take care of this thing here. And uh, so, yeah, but it's all of us, not just her. <laughs> it says, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask, do not ask God. That's an interesting one there, right? Right. When you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So the whole thing really gets down to it, that whole paragraph could be summed up in we're just selfish. Yeah, so uh, in verse 4 it says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes, a, becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. 
Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hand, you sinners, and purify your hearts, uh, you double-minded. Double-minded, right? So you got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Or you know, It's kind of like going back to Abram. You know, they got Bethel, the house of God, and then you got you know, a pile of ruins. You got your feet in both places. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. So basically, he's, what he's saying there is stop being happy in your sins. Think about what you're doing, you know what I mean? And then humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And you're going to see what he's saying here is going to come to play out in the rest of the story. Uh, so in verse 7, it says, uh, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. So the road to Shur is uh, Egypt. So Hagar's going home. And she actually, from Canaan to where she's at, is quite a long distance. So she had traveled uh, quite a ways. So uh, the angel of the Lord, it's the first time that it's, you know, it's a Genesis that's beginnings, right? This is the first time that the angel of the Lord is mentioned. Literally, it's the angel of, Yahweh, but actually it's uh, what they call a theophany of the pre-incarnate Christ. So this is basically Christ before the manger, and we're going to see this, and we'll probably talk more about it later on because it's going to come up uh, a few times, actually, where uh, Jesus makes these uh, appearances in the Old Testament, and when he makes these appearances, they call him uh, the angel of the Lord. And you'll be able to see from the narrative that follows it, this is obviously God that's intervening into Hagar's life. So, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that the angel of the Lord doesn't come to Abram, right? Uh, but, Instead, he appears to uh, Hagar, which is, you know, it's kind of like Jesus when he, and the angels come and they announce Jesus, they go to the, the shepherds or whatever. So he goes to uh, the Egyptian slave. She's not seeking God. And uh, it's kind of interesting. She's at this spring, which is kind of like Jesus with the, with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Um, so he said, uh, Hagar, slave of Sarai, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? So he, the the thing that makes me think that he didn't approve of this whole thing is is that, you know, um, Sarah said to Hagar, you know, that you would be, she would be like his wife. Hagar would be like his wife. But when God speaks to her, he says, Hagar, slave of Sarah. He doesn't recognize her as Abram's wife. But the question that he asks her, you know, in the context of what we're reading here, uh, where have you come from and where are you going? Uh, you know, it's a pretty simple question, but if you, if you think about 
if God, what I started thinking about, if God was asked me, where have you come from and where are you going? That's a pretty deep question there, you know, to, to ponder in your heart. It's kind of like uh, back in week one, if, if you ask someone, you know, what do you plan to accomplish before you die? You know? Where have you come from and where are you going? God's got a plan, I know that. <laughs> it's just, are we going to go with him? And so she answers, it's a simple question to her. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. So God's intervening. He seeks out uh, Hagar. She's quite a ways away from Canaan at this point. And so he finds her out. She's on her way back to Egypt, right? Egypt usually represents the world and, and bad stuff in Scripture. And so uh, he seeks her out. And intervenes, and uh, and basically it's the same as what James said. You know, he says he's basically telling her, "Go back and humble yourself." Right? I mean, it's a bad situation. Go back and do it. And the angel added, "I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count." So he he makes this promise to Hagar, and so. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord heard your misery. So, um, number five, uh, the Lord hears me. Okay? The Lord hears me. And Ishmael actually means God will hear. He will be a wild donkey of a man. In verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility towards his brothers. She gave the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Bir Lahoi Roy. It is still there between Kadish and Bered. So that Bir Lahoi Roy, that actually translates out to the well of him who lived and lives and sees me. And so number six on your sheet, the Lord sees me. That's actually kind of personal what's happened here with Hagar. I mean, uh, the Lord hears her, and the Lord sees her. And so it's not like you have this big impersonal God that wound everything up and walked away. He intervenes in here. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram uh, gave the name Ishmael to the son uh, she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So to me... I mean, there's a you know, there's definitely the conflict and the issue between uh, Sarah and Hagar and all that. But to me, the reason uh, that this chapter is in there 
is to um, show us God's grace towards Hagar. Uh, you know, Hagar was obedient to God and submitted to Sarah. She went back. She did what he told him to do. Uh, she humbled herself before God and Sarai. And I think that Sarah probably changed also. You know, you don't hear anything more about it, so you're going to have to assume that when she went back, everything must have operated okay. I mean, we don't have anything uh, to say otherwise. Uh, but I think that when Hagar went back and said, you know what, God intervened into my life and he talked to me and, you know, and... Uh, I think that Sarah probably kind of took notice and said, hey, maybe I need to change the way that I'm treating Hagar. So so it's really about, to me anyway, it's about God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can see how you uh, uh, take a bad situation and, uh, Lord, and make make good out of it in the way that you treated uh, Hagar with love and Lord and you and you saved her from um, you saved her from the destruction of the world and Lord that she came back and she humbled herself before you and submitted herself to you and Lord uh, we just thank you for that Lord we pray and and we have hope that that, that same grace uh, is available for us. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.